You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. We're talking Tigers baseball today, this Wednesday, December 6th, with Jason Beck, our Tigers reporter for MLB.com. Jason, as always, we thank you for the time, and uh, let's start here by talking about uh, Shohei Otani, who is not, unfortunately, going to be a Detroit Tiger in 2018. The Tigers, one of 23 teams that Otani said thanks, but no thanks to, as his uh, list is down to seven clubs that he will play for as he begins his uh, big league journey in 2018. So, Jason, on the spectrum of, uh, you know, you have your teams that were highly disappointed that they're not going to get that face-to-face meeting. At the other end of the spectrum, teams that said, well, we were kind of a long shot anyway. We're not too devastated. So on that scale, uh, where do the Tigers fall here? Yeah, I think they were at the other end. I mean, they, you know, they, they did the legwork on the scouting. You know, they, they've tried to make inroads in Asia that way. You know, they, they knew the talent and, and they were prepared to – you know, make an evaluation and make some recommendations to, to management. But they also, you know, they had a pretty good idea from the outset that he preferred to play on the West Coast. And even if he expanded his preferences to, to go national, I think, uh, you know, just the situation the Tigers were in, it was going to be difficult. I think people realized that in the Tigers front office. And so, yeah, I think they kind of expected this really the whole time. Yeah, I would agree that given where the Tigers are right now, that Otani was really not in the cards. Uh, at the same time, it's it's tough to be told that you know you're you're out and you're not going to get that face to face meeting to at least present your case. And uh, the Tigers, unfortunately, were on that list. And Jason, you know, I, I've asked uh, multiple reporters and other people around baseball if they're really buying into the Otani hype. You know, you you hear about the the triple digit fastball, you hear about the power from the from the the left side of the plate, and all these things he can do as a hitter and a pitcher. So are you buying completely into the hype, or do you think that, uh, you know, maybe it's a bit overblown and he's going to maybe take his lumps a little bit coming over to the big leagues? Well, I mean, we'll see. It's I think with guys like that, you look the metrics have changed a lot, not just in terms of the fastballs and everything like that, but, but also just, you know, how you can track movements and check athleticism and things, you know, things along those lines that I think 10 years ago when we were looking at those guys, you know, like the Matsuzakas and, um, you know, some of the infielders who would come over, you didn't really have that data. And I think you have at least a little bit more of a pool of data now, even if it's not quite on the same level as, uh, as some of the guys you can evaluate stateside. But it's, you know, you, you at least have a basis to, to – try to do some comparisons and try to get a better handle on how a guy's game might play uh, once they make the trip over. But that said, it's still a different game. There's still different tendencies, different characteristics. And uh, I think just the the two-way nature of it, we'll see. I I think I'm not sure I'm buying into the idea of him being a a full-time hitter when he's not pitching but the idea of of the pitcher who can provide a quality at bat for you 
and maybe start again every now and then. I think that's intriguing, and I think it it would be interesting for from my standpoint to see how that works out, how that uh, gets implemented, whether it's in the American League or National League, and what that might mean for some prospects in the states who show some ability to, to maybe do both positions. I know the McKay kid out of Louisville was intriguing in the most recent draft for that reason. The ways of talk about maybe trying to do some creative things along those lines. Yeah, I agree with you that, uh, you know, fans expecting this guy to, you know, throw a shutout on day one and, and then mash home runs the other four days in between starts. That's just not realistic. I don't care how talented he is. Uh, the grind of a 162-game season is going to wear anybody down that tries to take on those responsibilities. But, you know, like you said, there, there is going to be some role for him where he can implement uh, those talents he has as a hitter and a pitcher and whatever team does land him, it's going to be very interesting to see just exactly how they go about uh, getting those talents out of Shohei Otani. Uh, so, Jason, Otani is not going to be a Tiger in 2018. Leonis Martin will be uh, the veteran outfielder coming to terms with the Tigers the other day. And kind of talk about the the boxes that uh, that he kind of checks off for, for the Tigers in terms of what they were looking for for this guy. Well, uh... I think first and foremost is the defensive ability and the speed he provides. He's that type of center fielder that you can plug into Comerica Park and expect that he can cover the vast outfield gaps, which is a challenge for a lot of center fielders and a big reason why it takes a special kind of athlete to be able to handle center field at Comerica Park. And I, I think he's even... As he approaches age 30, I think he still has that ability. And to you know, uh, to compound that, he's also a left-handed bat, which is something that the Tigers really lack, especially among outfielders. Uh, they were looking at a roster where uh, Victor Martinez and John Candelario, both switch hitters, were going to be their only guys who could bat from the left side. So they needed to do something. And the outfield was the most logical place to do it today since they were going to have to add a guy or two there anyways. Now he fits in, not a power bat, and, and maybe not consistent bat for average either, but at least he gives you something. And I think they, they, he provides some athleticism too on the basis that, they, that they've been looking for, for years. And he might be a glimpse of the type of player that you're going to see in the outfield in, in Detroit, maybe the type of team you're going to be looking at uh, as this rebuild goes along. They don't have a ton of power guys coming up through the system, aside from Christian Stewart. What they do have are some athletic outfielders uh, who, if they can get their bats settled, have the chance to uh, to make an impact. So um, once you know, beyond the Leonis Martin. You've got guys like Daz Cameron, like Derek Hill, if he can stay healthy, who in a few years could provide that similar type of uh, skill set. Yeah, I mean, with all the emphasis on power these days, if you if you don't have that power, the next best thing I think is versatility. And uh, Martin has all those traits that you you know talked about. So with the defense and the base running and the ability to get a base knock every now and then, obviously doesn't hurt. So he does a few different things, and he's a good fit for the Tigers as they go into this rebuild uh, in 2018 and beyond. Jason, uh, shifting gears here, you recently spoke with uh, Alan Trammell 
regarding his chances of finally gaining induction into the Hall of Fame. He is now on the ballot of the Modern Baseball Era Committee, and uh, this vote is coming up uh, in the not-too-distant future. And, you know, Jason, I know a lot of these guys say that uh, they'll be at peace with whatever decision is made, even if it does uh, not go in their favor. So I know, you know, Alan Trammell kind of said the same things, and it's it's not always believable when you talk to certain guys, but when you talk to him and you hear him say it, you know, do you believe the words coming out of his mouth when he says, you know what, I obviously want this badly, but if it doesn't go my way, I will be at peace? Yeah, I do, because I think for one thing, I've talked with Tram about this for so many years because he spent 15 years on the BBWA ballot before this, and it was pretty clear after the first couple of years that it was going to be an uphill battle for him to come anywhere close to the vote total to get inducted off of that ballot. But he was still getting enough votes to where you wanted to do a story every year. So it almost got repetitive after a while. But even there, he, he was saying the same thing. And I, I think this, this is a second chance for him. But I think he also knows that it's tough to get 75% of committees to agree on these things. So he, he doesn't want to get his hopes up. And I think that he's learned that over the years from the BBWA ballot. And I also think that he doesn't have that ego to where he needs that to validate his career. I, this is a guy who he's going on, I, you know, I believe now 40 years in uh, professional baseball between his playing careers and in coaching. Uh, or you know, more than two-thirds of his, his wife. And for that alone, I think he really appreciates it. And I, I think he appreciates the fan sentiment, too, that even if he doesn't have Hall of Famer, um, you know, even if he's not in the Hall of Fame, that I think a lot of Tigers fans regard him as a Hall of Fame caliber player and somebody who should be in there. And I think that means a lot to him. And I know it still rubs Tigers fans the wrong way, as we've talked about in uh, previous weeks, that not a single member of the last world championship team from 1984 is in the Hall of Fame. That is certainly uh, in many Tigers fans uh, an injustice, in the eyes of many Tigers fans an injustice, and one that they hope to rectify if Alan Trammell finally uh, gets the call to the Hall. We'll find out here in a couple of short weeks. Jason, as we uh, wrap up uh, this week, we're taking a look back with the winter meetings beginning on Sunday down in Orlando, Florida, at some previous uh, wheelings and dealings at the winter meetings. And uh, a big wheel and deal was made uh, a decade ago when uh, dealer Dave, Dave Dombrowski, then at the helm of the Tigers, got his hands on a uh, slam-dunk future Hall of Famer. So take us through that. Well, uh, you know, the, the trade from Miguel Cabrera, I mean, I was covering those winter meetings. And, you know, I'll never forget it, just how even though Cabrera was on the trade market, for a while going into those meetings, the Tigers were never really seriously considered as a viable destination for him until, you know, really about uh, 24 hours before the trade became official, which was when you heard rumors. Uh, and it really, it really caught baseball by storm. And it really, I think, cemented Mike Gilch's reputation is somebody who would go to great lengths to try to field a winning team in Detroit, even if it meant spending like a bigger market franchise, uh, because you knew the implications of, of bringing a guy like that in there. You, did, you wouldn't bring, 
you wouldn't bring in Miguel Cabrera to rent him for a year or two if you're going to make that trade and make that commitment. You know, six prospects, including their two or three top prospects in their system at that time, which was you know, really at that point a, a pretty good system, you wouldn't make that commitment if you weren't expecting them to, to stay long term and you knew what it was going to take to, you know, as far as a contract in order to keep them long term. And to look back a decade later and realize the impact that Cabrera's had in Detroit and look at him now and think that he's a future Hall of Famer unless something absolutely insane happened. And most likely, he would go into the Hall of Fame uh, wearing a Tiger's cap, which is something that we haven't had in a while now. I think it, I think it means a lot, and I think it really it was a really a defining moment for this franchise, certainly this era of the franchise. Yeah, no question. And no matter what Dave Dombrowski does for the rest of his baseball career, uh, he's always going to have that near the top of his resume, acquiring a two-time MVP uh, back one decade ago. Hard to believe by how time flies uh, back in 2007 when uh, Dombrowski got his hands on the future Hall of Famer, the one and only Miguel Cabrera. Jason Beck, great stuff as always. Uh, we'll do it again soon. In the meantime, Matt Wehmeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras, Detroit Tigers. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.